This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of how we're different often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Can you believe it has been 20 years since the Olympic Games were here in Atlanta? Great opportunity to celebrate such a milestone in our city's history. This great anniversary coming up this weekend. Sitting here in the studio with us is the man who had the vision. People looked at him like he'd lost his mind and then he showed them, no I didn't, and brought the games here to Atlanta. The original Olympic organizer, Billy Payne, thanks for coming back to see us. Thank you, my pleasure. This is great. Wow, can you believe it's been 20 years? (laughs) Well, uh, in certain respects, no, it's like yesterday. Um, My wife reminds me that when I look in the mirror, that she can tell it's been 20 years. But <laughs> Well, as long as you don't tell her that, I think that's it's all right. good. Take our audience back, because one of the things that the Olympics did, as you know, beyond the, the money that was made for the city, the, the global reputation that Atlanta developed as an international city, there is an entire generation of people who don't know how you did this. Tell us that story. Well, it's an uh, improbable story, I think, one that... Um, based principally on um, having a good idea and then um, sharing it with your friends and hoping that um, there's enough affection between you and your friends that they support you, notwithstanding the fact that it seems like a crazy, unachievable idea. And we were very lucky early on, um, the original Atlanta Nine, a group of volunteers and friends, and then early on Andy Young and then later Maynard Jackson, we had so many people who embraced the idea and carried it forward. What do you think, sir, was the tipping point when you knew that the Atlanta bid was serious, that we had the resources to back it up, to do the presentation to the IOC, and that we really had a shot at winning the 90s? I mean, these are the Centennial Olympic Games. Everyone, as you just said, looked at you like you were crazy. We mm-hmm. all thought they were going to Athens where they began. Well, uh, the world thought that certainly, and we did not want to dissuade them. In fact, uh, as we were making progress, getting better, thinking perhaps that we might have a chance, we were we were very strategic in not telling anybody that we thought we were doing good because all of the other cities felt compelled to, you know, the people back home, we have to tell them how good we're doing and we're going to win and this and this, and, um, and we didn't do any of that, and we just— uh, made friends, uh, led with the best we had, um, a wonderful community, a great spokesman and Andy Young, and, you know, it was a pretty powerful um, argument. Young's being the uh, U.N. ambassador and having so many friends globally who had votes didn't hurt at all either, did it? Not at all. He, I mean, Andy's reputation certainly preceded him, benefited us, uh, but even more persuasively, uh, he became great friends with these people, and they trusted him and respected him. Of what are you most proud beyond the accomplishment of bringing that 17-day experience to our community? Well, as it relates to the Olympics, perhaps uh, I would say the reaction and support of the public in general is probably the most gratifying thing that I experienced. Um, we knew we had a great community. We knew we had a civic-minded, volunteer-based community. And yet, um, even I was surprised the magnitude and the intensity with which they embraced the challenge and the idea. 
big celebrations in Atlanta this weekend to mark the 20th anniversary. You're in town for that. Tell us a little bit about what will be happening. Oh, we're so excited. Uh, beginning about 6 o'clock this coming Saturday, we're going to, we've invited everybody to come, the public. We've emphasized the 52,000 volunteers who made the games possible and successful. Please come. We're going to allow them to to subdivide based on the venues where they worked and renew old friendships. And then we're going to salute some of the great athletes uh, that were critical of our games. Carl Lewis, Janet Evans, who passed the torch to Muhammad Ali, the Magnificent Seven, Amy Van Dyken, who, the swimmer who won more gold medals than anybody else here, and several other gold medalists will be here, and um, we'll have a great time thanking them for their contribution. Had a great conversation just the other day with Janet Evans. She's a part of our, our talk here today. And she told me a little bit about the story of being the person who got to pass the torch to Muhammad Ali. And we're all still so saddened by his passing this year, but loving his legacy. Tell us, how were we able to make that happen? Well, we took a long time deciding. There were so many worthy candidates. And when we finally um, decided on Ali, you have to, we had to communicate with him, of course, through intermediaries, friends of his, agents, and trusted advisors, and we were always very much aware of the secrecy of it all, and so as we invited him to do it, we were very clear as we told his advisors, now if this leaks out, we have somebody standing in the background that can take his place because we want it to be a surprise, and they got it, and pretty amazing that we were able to keep it secret till the very end, but it made it, made it very powerful. So once word got to him that this is what you wanted to have happen, what the team wanted to have happen, he was 100% on board. 100%. He came in and rehearsed a couple of months earlier. And now that's pretty something he, to do stealthily, huh? Yeah, we did it about 3 o'clock in the morning. He, you know, he got out of the airplane at Peachtree to Cal. We put a blanket over him so, so we could take him down to the stadium, and we had the Atlanta police go through the neighborhood running off all the press who by that time were – in a frenzy about who was going to do it, looking for any secrets. It was the last story to tell. Yeah, that's right. And he um, he rehearsed, and um, it was a special evening. What are some of your, your favorite memories? I remember I, I had an opportunity to, to attend the opening ceremonies, and probably one of the most fascinating, exciting things that I think I've ever had an opportunity as a journalist to do. And I was just there as a citizen, as a fan, and, and someone who loves the games. Uh, what are some of your fondest memories? You know, I have many. I think uh, probably the most impactful powerful single moment was was Ali lighting the torch the saddest moment the park bombing followed by perhaps one of the greatest moments what which is the way that the people of Atlanta rebounded and uh, quite defiantly made a statement that nobody is going to interrupt permanently this wonderful celebration of humanity that we've been experiencing the preceding week so those were all very special moments are you going down to the games in Rio this year? No, not going. Uh, I spend the summers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's pretty hard to get me out of there uh, between my fishing and my hiking with my wife. What kind of advice since, and it has been 20 years, but as an expert on someone who had a great idea, put together a terrific team, and successfully bid and won the Olympic Games for your city, I'm sure you've consulted other cities in the aftermath on how to get the games uh, to is, is how has that worked for you been able to help other successful yes uh, in fact it's uh, pretty much uh, industry standard that all the cities that aspire to host the games try to find all the guys 
in history who who were in charge of organizing previous games, and they'll come visit. and And the advice is pretty simple, and um, you you cannot lead with your arrogance when you bid for the Olympic Games. Uh, and you have to you have to make friends. You have to be humble. Um, you have to and try to create sincere relationships and convince them that you know. Uh, you can trust us uh, with the power of this great ideal, the Olympic movement, and please do so. So that's what I tell everybody. The Olympic movement is one of the things in our society that is tremendous at unifying a country. As we look ahead, as you look ahead to watching the Rio Games from your big screen TV in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you know, times are pretty tough right now and folks are struggling a bit. What would you say to the Atlanta audience and to a broader audience of Americans about being Americans and rallying around the Olympic movement. Well, I've been an advocate of the Olymp- the power of the Olympic movement now for 30 years. And, you know, it's really, it's the world's greatest manifestation of people coming together who are otherwise different politically, racially, ethnically, economically, and yet they compete in love and friendship under a common set of rules. And uh, that should that should teach us all a pretty good example and we should learn from it in the way we live our normal lives. I see there's an opportunity in Centennial Olympic Park to add bricks. I know I've got a few down there. We're expanding, or this is a part of the big park renovation, of course. It is indeed, and uh, the street that previously went through the middle of the park is now being paved with bricks and closed to traffic, and we're taking this opportunity to give people, me for instance, I'm a great example, I now have 11 grandchildren, None of them had bricks. They weren't here. They weren't here. And so they're all, now I'm, I'm buying 11 more so they can join my wife and I and my two children, you know, in the park. So it's going to be exciting. What do you say to Atlantans uh, in a way of saying thank you for, for getting behind you and the team in creating such a once-in-a-lifetime remarkable event, historic event that did so much for the city of Atlanta? As I said earlier, the... Um, the power of the volunteer component of this community is unprecedented when they come together and unify behind a singular purpose. And to feel that happen and emerge from a simple, improbable idea was pretty special. And it says to me that, um, you know, we have that capability here. I always maintain that, you know, the, what distinguished us from all other communities, American communities, and all the other cities that bid against us, you know, we led with our reputation of Southern hospitality and friendliness about which everybody was at least peripherally aware. And then they would come, and not only would they discover that, they would discover that we are perhaps the most wonderfully diverse community um, in all of America. And so that combination that is Atlanta, uh, was very, very powerful. It ended up being irresistible. And I think that's very true to this day. Billy Payne, thanks so much. Congratulations again. Thank you. In that conversation with Billy Payne, you might have heard me mention a conversation that I got to have with gold medal Olympic swimmer Janet Evans. She's here, too, celebrating Atlanta's Olympic legacy as she was the very last torchbearer before the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali lit Atlanta's torch. Where does the time go? I can't believe it's been 20 years. I was here then. I cannot believe it's been 20 years. It's crazy how fast it goes, but... 
you know, Atlanta was such a, a great Olympic um, for myself and so many athletes, particularly the American athletes, that they got to finish their careers on home soil. So I'm thrilled to come back and celebrate all of the wonderful, uh, wonderful events of the Atlanta Games. It's nice with some perspective looking back 20 years. Of course, when we talk about the games, we're all reminded of the terrible night in the park, which we, we should remember, but you're right. It was an outstanding event and really put Atlanta on the map as a global city. Well, it really did, and I think that you know that's what the Olympics do for cities is they, they, they let the world know that, that there's um, – amazing things that happen in these in these cities and the olympics uh, really showcase that so so yes i think it was a great coming out party for the city of atlanta um i'm excited personally to go back to centennial olympic park and look at all the bricks and um find my friends names and my name and um just be a part of of the memories i wanted to talk just a little bit about your career when did you know that competitive swimming was going to be your thing and how was it when you made that first Olympic team? Well, I grew up in uh, I grew up in uh, the city of Los Angeles. So when I watched the 1984 Olympics um, here in, in LA, uh, it was amazing for me, and um, you know, it really inspired me to want to be a part of the Olympic movement in one way or another, particularly as an athlete. So I started working hard on that, and you know, I think that's what. You know, I think that's yet another reason that cities love the Olympic Games because they um, they, they they inspire generations, and, and that's what the Olympic movement does. And I think that's why when the Olympics come around, everyone gets so darn excited because they're inspired in their own lives by the Olympics and the athletes, and you know how hard they train and and their stories and their journeys. And um, I really believe that uh, you know that's what the Olympics do. Win or lose, that's what the Olympics do. So all of my brother's football trophies are still in his bedroom in my parents' house. I'm curious, where are your gold medals? My gold medals are in a safe at my parents' house because people like to take gold medals, unfortunately. So mine are locked up, but I pull them out to share them with kids and um, youth and families and events. So they come out pretty often. Describe for me the moment, the first time you're standing at the – you know, at the medal stand before you're presented with that first Olympic gold medal, the Star Spangled Banner is playing. Uh, that has to be an incredibly amazing feeling of accomplishment. Yeah, it's, it is an incredible feeling and um, it's a wonderful feeling. And um, it's kind of a feeling that you can't really describe or, or put into words because it's the accumulation of a lot of hard work. How do you take that? And I know that you talk and speak and encourage young people who want to have careers like yours, who want to represent the United States on an Olympic team in any given sport. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the Olympics do inspire these generations. So to take my story, which is, you know, that I worked hard, I had some failures, I had some successes, I was able to um, parlay that into the rest of my life, because I think sport really parallels life, which is, you know, you have good days, you have bad days, it's kind of how you come out of it. And, and readjust and set your goals and work for those goals that really matters. And so you know, I think every Olympian has their journey that's similar to what my journey was. And, and um, you know, that's my message is that, you know, we train hard. It's not, you know, we make it look easy on TV at the Olympics because we're primed and ready to go. But, you know, it's, it's uh, there's good days and bad days for us too. And, um, you know, that's kind of um, the inspiring part of the Olympic Games. What are you hoping that folks will take away from the, the big celebration here in the park this weekend? I hope 
they'll remember what the Olympics brought to the great city of Atlanta. I hope they'll feel pride. I hope they'll um, remember Muhammad Ali lighting the torch and uh, lighting the cauldron. And I think they'll um, remember the great athletic performances and maybe be even more inspired to um, give back to the pool or the gym or the playing field and, and reach their own goals themselves. You mentioned Ali. What a giant. And I understand you had a, a particularly special moment with him. Yes, I did. I was able to, um, you know, uh, pass the torch to him at the opening ceremony as I was the final torch bearer before Ali lit the flame, lit the cauldron. So um, it was an incredible moment and his courage standing there in front of the world. And, um, yeah, it was uh, like winning a medal, like pr- pretty indescribable. Yeah, I was just sitting in the stands, and that was an incredible moment, just being there and watching all of that happen. It was remarkably yeah. exciting. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. and They consider it to be one of the greatest moments in Olympic history, and it happened right in Atlanta. And you were a part of it. That's amazing, Janet Evans. Yes, it was amazing. And I want to wrap up the show this week with a conversation with the American guitarist, songwriter, producer, recording artist, you know, who you going to call, Ray Parker Jr. Of course, he is best known for writing and performing the theme song to the motion picture Ghostbusters. You know that movie, the reboot of the film, in theaters this weekend. Ray Parker Jr., what a pleasure and an honor to talk to you this morning, sir. How's it going? It's going really, really, really well. What a great year this is. This has been a phenomenal year. I wanted to congratulate (laughs) you on uh, being in the premiere of the the ABC show Greatest Hits. They celebrated you there with the performance of the Ghostbusters theme. Uh, It's uh, That's just the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? It's never dying. It's it's unbelievable. Who would have ever thought? Would you share with our listeners the story of how you got that gig to write the first song? I know you've written something new for the new film, which opens this week, but that is just such an incredible story. Not many people may know. Well, what happened is I used to work for Barry White in the old days, and I did a bunch of all of his records, you know. And the guy that was running his publishing company was called Gary Lamell, who ran... uh, got the Aaron Schroeder music. And so some years later, after I became more mature and he became the vice president of Columbia Pictures, they were, work, they were working on that song for a film for like over a year. And they just no one liked any of the songs. And he called me up personally and thought I was the right guy to make this happen. So he said, you got two and a half days to, to get going because the film's coming out in a couple of weeks and that's all the time they had. And that is what I came up with in those two or three days. And it's true that the director said to you that the the phrase Ghostbusters had to be in the lyrics of the song? That made it very difficult because ghost, the word Ghostbusters, you know it now, so you already know what the song sounds like. But it was very difficult to say that word in a song, not a very singable phrase. So I had to do it where, you know, what would occur to me is I should never say the words Ghostbusters. I just let the crowd say Ghostbusters and I just prompt them with who you going to call and and history is made, and the song is legendary, number one worldwide for forever. Everybody knows it. And while we're back with the uh, the new film with the all female lead cast, and you are mm-hmm. back as well. Tell us about the the collaboration, or the what are your think your thoughts on the the new theme song in the in the new film? Well, first of all, I'm not sure which is the new theme song. Yeah, I, I saw the film uh, two nights ago, and I heard several different versions of uh, different music and different everything. So I'm not sure what the new theme song is, uh, but but I've, it's really heartwarming to hear a bunch of young people doing renditions of my song and different versions of it. I thought it was, almost made me cry in the theater. It's just such a wonderful thing. 
you know, the reason why you couldn't figure out which might be the new theme song is because the challenge of rising up to the standard that you set, kind of impossible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, maybe that's why they're, they're having a little trouble. But I, I really like the old one. But, but you know, I think it's, and I feel, I feel very sympathetic to the new songwriters that are writing, too, because I can't imagine what they were telling them when they were writing the song, right? I can't imagine what that meeting was like. I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> Absolutely. So what have you been working on besides the revival that you've got now because the, the, the reboot of the movie is out, which brings back the original? But, I mean, you've written countless number one hits. You've toured, traveled the globe. Uh, what's new with you? Well, I got a book coming out called Who You Gonna Call? And it's The Adventures of Ray Parker Jr., written by my best friend, and myself, but I'm letting him take all the blame for it or the credit if you want to see it. And I'm working on a new album called 1983, which I should be done with pretty soon at the same time as the book, building a new studio next door. And believe it or not, my own Ghostbusters at home, my two kids, are doing really, really well at music, and I bet you next time they'll probably take a crack at writing the Ghostbusters 4 song. Apples don't fall too far from the tree, huh? Yeah, we'll see how good they do with it. I wanted to ask you, uh, just as we wrap up, one other question, because it's so much on the minds of everybody, just the, the struggle and the stress that the nation is in. We know that music is just this great unifier that communicates so much to so many people all at the same time. Great therapy. Uh, what message do you have for, for people, the movement, the challenges? What would you have us to know? Well, i got to tell everybody to start praying and hang on. I mean, you got to believe that the world can get better. And you got to hang on. We went through riots when I was a kid in 67, 68. And I've seen several things. Uh, I must admit, I haven't seen it quite like it is now. I mean, now you have terrorism. You have people shooting themselves. You have the people at odds with the police. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very strange time right now. Right. Very, very strange time. All right, well, and I've, 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 my heart cries out to everybody who's lost people in different incidences like that. But, you know, like... For instance, in the south side of Chicago, many people are just killing themselves. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that at this day and age with all the modern technologies and the world is supposed to be getting better, that in some, you know, some respects we're getting worse. You make a very good point. Congratulations on the book, the new studio, and the new album. And congratulations on uh, just being somebody who's got the world's greatest earworm. Well, all you say is who you're going to call, and we know exactly how to answer you. Ray Parker Jr., thanks so much for your time this morning. Okay, well, thank you so much. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.